Uh, so we have, Scott's coming to uh, to speak and to, and to share the word with us this morning. I feel like God, uh, even in the first service, he just began to speak just about this this plan, the strategic plan that God has for us as a people. Scripture is really clear that God is a a God who who uh, is as Bill Stevens. We talked about the first service is not willy nilly. Willy nilly. Have you ever heard Bill Stevens say the word willy nilly? Right. Yes. And it basically means a, uh, there's nothing that God does that doesn't have a purpose to it. That God has a purpose for us and a plan for us as a people. And so Scott's going to come share that this morning, and I feel like it's an important word. And, uh, and then after that, we'll have an opportunity for you to get connected, and we'll talk more about that. So I'm going to pray for Scott, and then pray for you all that God would speak this morning. So Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for Scott. We thank you for the things that you're doing in him. Lord, we thank you for the things that you're doing through him here at Vintage. And we simply say this morning, Jesus, your will be done as he speaks this morning here at Vintage on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Just real quick, if you don't know, and Scott basically is celebrating being here six months. Kind of hard to believe, isn't it? If you look at here yesterday. So we're, we're kind of glad you're here, bro. All right, have fun. When are we going fishing? Um, it's good to be here. We have loved our time uh, in the transition to come here from Jacksonville, and uh, it's just great to be a part of Vintage and get to hear stories from you guys about your experience at Vintage as well. Um, we're going to just kind of dive in this morning. Um, there's a, a kind of a, an interesting piece that most of us have. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about mother-in-laws to get things started. And I was expecting somebody to chuckle because, you know, what is it about mother-in-laws that have this kind of reputation to go with them? And Timothy's getting nervous over there because uh, he's sitting up straight and his future mother-in-law is here. And so here we are talking about mother-in-laws. And yeah, exactly. There you go. And uh, so uh, we're going to start. So I've got I've, I decided I would Google uh, mother-in-law jokes and I found a couple funny mother-in-law jokes that we're going to start off with. OK. So um, here we go. What is the difference between outlaws and in-laws? Outlaws are wanted. What's the ideal weight of a mother-in-law? Two pounds, three ounces, including the urn. (laughs) These are great, aren't they? What do you uh, what do you what do you do if you miss your mother-in-law? Shoot again. Adam and Eve were the happiest and luckiest people on the planet because they didn't have a mother-in-law. Um, my father-in-law was driving down the road the other day, and the policeman pulled him over. Walking up to the car, uh, my father-in-law's car, the policeman said, Your wife fell out five miles ago. My father-in-law replied, Thank God, I thought I was going deaf. <laughs> Sorry, this one's even worse. All right, so a guy brings his dog into a vet and says, Could you please cut my dog's tail off? The vet examines the tail and says, there's nothing wrong. Why do you want me to do this? And the man replies, my mother-in-law is coming to visit, and I don't want anything in our house to make her feel like she's welcome. You get it? The tail, sorry. Is that bad or what? I mean, come on. So, I mean, what is it with this stereotype of mother-in-laws? You know, I can tell this story because I literally have a wonderful mother-in-law. I am indebted to my in-law's. For the rest of my life, they, my, my, my mother-in-law gave birth to the most beautiful and wonderful person I know and am grateful to spend the rest of my life with. And I've got a great relationship with my in-laws. And, 
you know, excited to see what all God has in store for us moving forward. I tell you these mother-in-law jokes because we're going to dive in a little bit this morning into the greatest potential mother-in-law on the planet. And, um, and we find her hidden in this story uh, of this book in the Bible, the Old Testament, not entitled by her name, but entitled by her daughter-in-law's name. And the name of the book is Ruth. And so I'm just going to paraphrase the first bit of the story of Ruth for you. It's an amazing story. It's four chapters in the Old Testament. And it's the story that tells the lineage and part of or piece of the lineage of Jesus Christ, you know, and a piece of the lineage of David. But we're not going to not going to tell you the whole story. I'm just going to tell you the first chapter and a half. And you get the homework of going home and reading the rest of the story and unpacking and seeing what all exists in this story. Most of the time that you hear Ruth being spoken of or preached about, you hear this piece of the lineage and the great redeeming qualities that take place in tragedy, you know, and I'm going to leave you to go discover that part of the story. But for me, when I started began studying Ruth, the Lord just kind of hit me upside the head because I saw something just kind of taking this 10,000 foot perspective, reading the story and imagining this story that I'm going to paraphrase. It starts with Naomi. And her husband moving away to a foreign land out of the land of Judah, that the land of Judah was in a was in a drought. And so hard times came upon the land. They decide to move to the land of Moab and they take their two sons with them, obviously. And so in the land of Moab, their sons find wives and marry. Okay, Naomi's husband dies. It appears to be some short time later. Her two son and her two sons die as well. Who knows what took place? Maybe there was a war or famine had had hit Moab, whatever. Something happened that suddenly the three male figures in this family are gone. So it's Naomi left with her two daughters in law, one of which is named Ruth. Naomi's name literally means lovable. And obviously the character, if you look You know, from 10,000 feet, if you look down on this story, you will see that Ruth was this incredible, incredible woman, this incredible, incredible character. You know, the mother in law stories. And when this tragedy takes place, Naomi decides to move back to the land that she came from to to Judah and her two daughters in law come to her and say, we want to go with you. We love you and we want to be with you. Can you imagine, you know, some tragedy taking place and your mother-in-law needing to move and you say, mother-in-law, I love you so much. I want to leave my family and my job and all the things that I've known here growing up and go be with you because I love you so much. Anybody want to say that's what that's automatically? Absolutely. Timothy, you can't respond. What I want to do because your mother-in-law is here. What I want to do with my mother-in-law. But yet that's. What that's the relationship that they that Naomi had with her daughters in law. She was such a woman of character and such a loving person. She sewed into these gals and invested in their life. We see this transformation, obviously, that took place in the life of Ruth as she chose to to forsake the gods that she had grown up to worship and choose to worship Yahweh. To choose to, to, to worship the one true God, this, this God of, a, of in essentially this foreign land of these Jewish people. And chose to get rid of everything that she'd known beforehand. 
So here we are in the midst of this story and Naomi is 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 heading back. And so they've packed up their things and the daughters in law are coming along. And Naomi, out of somehow loving her daughters in law in another way, says, don't go with me. You have a life and a future here in your homeland. Go back to your parents house. Go find for yourselves husbands again and start a family anew. I release you and I bless you. Go back to your to your home, to your families. And one of the daughters-in-law takes her up on that offer. The other, by the name of Ruth, says, no, I will not do it. I love you too much, and I'm going to go with you into this foreign land. As they enter into the foreign land, they're coming back to their hometown, and people are looking, and they're seeing Naomi coming, and they say, could this be Naomi? Has she returned? And obviously the stories and the rumors, you know, begin to start. But when asked, you know, are you Naomi? Obviously, this is Naomi and they recognize her. Her response is she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Don't call me lovable. Call me Mara. And Mara means that because I am bitter and the Lord has turned against me. I am bitter and the Lord has turned against me. I no longer want to be known by that name as lovable because I don't feel lovable. I don't want to be lovable right now. I feel broken and bitter and angry and upset. And so Naomi essentially wants to change her name of who she's known to be. And in the midst of that context, in the midst of that attitude of where Naomi was, this is the This is the context in which Ruth speaks to her mother-in-law in in saying she wants to go with her back to their homeland. It's found in Ruth chapter one. I'm going to read verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you where you go. I will go and where you stay. I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God where you die. I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if anything but death separates you and me. At that point, Naomi refused to continue to urge her daughter-in-law to to stay in her homeland. Can you imagine the community, the heart behind this woman, Ruth, who looked at this woman, Naomi, who who obviously had had this incredible impact into her life and who was obviously lived up to what her name meant, that she was this lovable person. Ruth looks at who Naomi is trying to become in this hardship of turning bitter and looks at her and says, do not urge me to leave you. Where you go, I will go. And where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. If anything but death separates you and me, let the Lord deal with me ever so severely. Friends, there is a love and there's this compassion and there's this bond that has taken place when someone has poured into you that you cling to them in community. And that's this very heart. That's this description. That's this illustration that we see in the Lord's heart for us. 
That the Lord looks at us and whatever we've gone through and whatever we've been a part of and whatever we've participated in and all the different things that are trying to help us shame or shape our name into something other than what he birthed us and called us as his sons and his daughters. And we get angry and we get frustrated and whatever. And the Lord speaks to us in that moment. He says, don't urge me to leave you. Don't push me out of your life by participating in this. I love you too much. And where you go, I'm going to be right there with you. I am going to pursue you to the tops of the hills and to the bottoms of the valleys. I will be with you. I will not forsake you. I will be your God. And that's a message that the Lord wants us to hear. In the same reality, the Lord is inviting us to join his heart to be those people. He's inviting us. He's inviting us in this story and he's making it very clear in the fact that Ruth is a part of this lineage of Christ. He's inviting us to carry on and to participate in that very same character. You just heard stories of it being expressed right here. The testimonies that are being expressed in this church are the testimonies of the spirit of God at work in people's hearts. That. I live all the way down in Marietta and people drove all the way down here to bring me a meal. That I was in this and people cared about me. That when I walked in the door, I knew that something was different. Friends, that's not a credit to Vintage 242. That's a credit to the Spirit of God moving within the people at Vintage 242. Here's the reality of why we're discussing this this morning. Despite, you know... What we like, what we don't like. Vision leaks. Vision leaks. It is the vision of our church to be this Acts 242 church that the testimonies that you heard this morning are reflecting back on this Acts 242 piece. That they cared for one another, that they broke bread, that they listened to the apostles teaching, that they, you know, they cared for the widows and the orphans. Look at the whole Acts 2 church piece. And you're hearing testimony, bits and pieces of the testimony of that taking place in this congregation. That should be celebrated, and I'm glad we celebrate it. We've got cupcakes today to help celebrate it. But friends, vision leaks. And so we're also in a season three years in, in a place where we're looking at and trying to find where are opportunities for things to leak. And we're trying to plug those holes. And so in some sense, we're trying to be very strategic about finding ways where vision could leak and we want to help that vision not leak, that that we can build upon this plan that the spirit of God has to bear forth this fruit and for it to blossom in even greater ways. And so one of the ways that we're doing that right now is that we're looking at how we're inviting people to volunteer in things. And you're going to be given an opportunity, you know, shameless plug, you're going to be given an opportunity to sign up to volunteer In something that the church is doing now in asking you to volunteer, I'm not inviting you to fill a spot. I'm not asking you to all chip in because when everybody chips in the light, the the work is lighter and, you know, that way we can be a community for each other. No, I'm challenging you to step up and to fill in and to serve as an opportunity to say yes to love. Because if you look at the reality of what takes place next in Naomi's and Ruth's story, they've moved into the land of Judah and obviously they're out of this drought that had taken place and the harvesters are out in the field and they're bringing in the harvest. And what happens next in this story, once they've gotten there, is that we find we find Ruth 
out gleaning in the fields in Judah. And if you don't know what gleaning is, basically the harvesters come through. And after the harvesters have come through, then people, you know, that may be poor in the area, come behind the harvesters and pick up whatever grain was left that was on the ground or what few stems may still be standing. And they get to take that home for their meal or to make their bread. So if it was a peach orchard and the harvesters came through and harvested all the peaches, you can go after that and go glean whatever peaches might be left on the peach trees. That's a little Georgia context for you. Okay, so we find Ruth gleaning from this field and in this field that she's cleaning from it was happened to be owned by a name of Boaz. And Boaz is a very wise man. You can see this in a number of different places in the story. But again, I'm not telling you the whole story. You got to go read it. So Boaz comes and he says, who is this woman? Who is this Moabite woman that's in my field, basically, to the the guy who's in charge of this harvest? And he says, that is Naomi's daughter in law. He'd already heard the story of Naomi and what had taken place and that this daughter-in-law had come back. And he finds favor with Ruth and he basically pulls her aside and blesses her. And she said, what have I done to deserve this blessing? He said, woman, I see who you are. I see the character that you have. You've left your mother and your father and your homeland and your gods because you've loved Naomi. And so my plan is that the Lord would bless you. I see the character of who you are, that you're out here slaving in the middle of the day. And according to my foreman over the job here, you've only taken one quick work break, but you've been out here all day long. I pray that the Lord blesses you. Not only that he blesses you, I've asked my men to leave you alone and to not bother you. You can drink water from the water that they've drawn from the well. You don't have to draw water yourself. Drink from the from the jars that they pull up. Feel free to go help yourself to some of the different things that are coming out of the field. I want you to be blessed. Friends, one of the amazing things that we see in this story of Ruth is that Ruth was faithfully serving her mother-in-law by going and gathering and gleaning from this field. And she did it not because she was asked to do it, She did it with a smile on her face because she served what what was propelling her to serve was that she was she she loved the person she was serving. Ruth loved Naomi. And so to go glean in a field to provide for Naomi was not a work. It was an act of love. And if we're going to continue to be the church that God has started and he's birthing this fruit in, then one of the things that we see, one of the areas that this could leak is the opportunity to put our finger in a hole or to help create a system where we're giving you guys opportunities to serve. And in the midst of serving, we're inviting you to love. So one of the practical ways that this works out, just in one of the areas, for instance, we've got people who greet at the doors on Sunday morning. You've all met somebody. We have people that are in charge of helping seating in here and their role is to kind of get to know the people that are sitting in their areas and watch for fresh faces and, you know, go make a friend when they see somebody new. And when they're not seeing somebody new, their job's just to just to socialize. And if you're a socialite, then you probably want to sign up to be a seater because that's what you're asking you to do is be a social butterfly and be genuine and have fun fun with it. And one of the changes, one of the little tweaks that we're making is we now have, if, if we're at 9 o'clock, Rob and Laura Lilly are stepping up to be the team leads of that. And you know what Rob and Laura Lilly's job is? 
Their job is to get to know the people that serve in those areas and just become their friends and to just sow into them and to care about them and to love them. And when they are standing at the front door, they're asking about how their week is. And you know what? The person who's greeting at the front door, they're not just handing a name tag and shaking hands. They're actually also having a conversation with hopefully the other person serving. And when you're asked, how are you doing? You say something a little bit more than, oh, I had a great week. No, you, you, or, or I just had a tough week. You go ahead and you tell a little bit below the surface that we're not just we're not just we're inviting you into something deeper than surface level relationships is my point. And so we're inviting you to be in a team that is intentionally designed to have people helping you move beyond surface level relationships to the point that hopefully you feel like and other people that get involved feel like this is the place they belong. That vintage is a place to belong, it's a place to love and be loved, and it's a place to serve and be served. And when we can create that reality, and we're seeing that take place, that we're not asking you to fill a spot so that a spot can be filled and people can be welcomed at the front door. We're asking you to come stand at the front door and shake people's hands and actually care about them, and specifically care about the person on the door next to you. And when we've done that, We will continue to have a community that is not just described as friendly. It will be described as it was this morning, authentic. Because people who walk in, they don't have to see that this is a friendly place by somebody standing at the front door. When when we, the people, continue to invest in care and to love one another, then we've just created something that can be smelled and tasted and felt And that's what's been taking place. But friends, yesterday's bread was not enough for today. God has something more and God has something new for vintage and where he's leading us and what he's calling us to. And it includes a deeper level of community. Part of that plan for community is our small groups. And so we're inviting you guys to connect and become friends with other people in your groups. The first three weeks of our small group campaign this fall is for you to get together and have fun and play games. Now, why do you think that would be important? Because we want you to have fun. You know, relationships, what kind of relationship do you want to be in with somebody who's no fun? Right? We want you to have fun together. We want this to be authentic. We want this to be real. So we want you to have fun together. And quite frankly, I like getting to know people I'm having fun with compared to people that I'm not having fun with. Right? So we're encouraging you to sign up, to be involved, to connect in groups so that you can connect and make friends. And in some places, in some contexts, that those friendships are going to gel and there's going to be some chemistry. And as time goes on, there are going to be certain groups that meet this fall that want to continue meeting because they want to be a community. They want to do life together. And then that's when the good stuff starts happening. Because then you have people that you're doing life with and the surface level stuff is not enough for what that's about. That these people care about me. These people are with me. They're praying over what's taking place in my life. And I know they're praying for me. It's a place to belong. It's a place to love and be loved. And it's a place to serve and be served. So strategically, it's really simple. That's the plan for who we are as a church. We're part of a network that is called this transformation network. So we have this vision to plant churches and to impact and to transform this community, this northwest region of Atlanta. 
Do you want to know what we need to do as, as, as Vintage Church and what we need to continue to do in order to be an impact in our local community and specifically help transform this community we live in? I think it's two specific things. It won't come from Steve preaching better. It won't come from us having better worship or singing better songs. It won't even come from having more people come in the door. The way we participate in transforming this community we live in is that we focus on inviting the Holy Spirit to equip and empower you, God's people, to be agents of his kingdom in the relationships that you have. That you are empowered and equipped to be the people God wants you to be, to care about and to love and to care for the people that you're in a relationship with. And maybe you have somebody that you're in a relationship with that feels like a mother-in-law. Maybe that's your boss or maybe that's your person in the cubicle next to you. God has a plan and a purpose for that person in your life to teach you how to love in a whole greater way. And maybe you're being called to be Naomi. Maybe you're being called to be a person in that person's life that you love. They, they begin to love you and trust you because they can see that you genuinely care for them. And you want to be a part of their life, regardless of what land they lived in and what God they worshipped. The second thing that we have to do to, in order to be a church that's going to transform our community is to continue on with what we're, what, what's begun is to be an authentic community. Is to be an authentic community. And so the ways that we become an authentic community is that we continue on the path that's already begun. And we begin caring for each other and investing into each other. That when you meet somebody, I'm telling you, when you meet somebody or you are intermingling with somebody over a cupcake today, and you hear something about their story, then I want to just challenge you to say, hey, can I call you and just pray for you this week? Or I'm going to be praying for you this week. Here's my number. If you would like to pray with me, I'll be happy to pray with you this week. But I, want to, I just want to care enough to pray. Imagine what would just kind of spark and take place if everybody in here just said, I'm going to be praying for you, somebody that they had a conversation with this week. Friends, those are the areas that over time things can get lost and vision can leak. And that's specifically why we're intending to invest into you guys in this season, kind of raising the bar again, kind of changing a bit of what we're doing in volunteers and asking you to step up to the plate to serve. Rodney Stark wrote a, a book about the first century church. Doing a lot of research, he kind of he begins to describe just what took place in this first century church. And it started with with 120 people. And by the year 350 A.D., it was 56 percent of the Roman Empire. In 300 years, this thing just absolutely exploded. And as, in, in his book, he just begins to look at what took place, that there was this staggering event that just caused this explosion to take place in the in the Roman world. In the Roman Empire. And the reality is, is it wasn't because they the church had great resources or funds. It wasn't because they had great programs for people to connect into. It's because they were something that hadn't been that people hadn't been. In, and that was called community. 
So here was this community and, the, and all of the Roman Empire was broken up in this caste system. And at the top of this caste system was a social class of the senators and then the equestrians and then the decurions and then the citizens of Rome. And then below the citizens, there were the free people, people who had been slaves that were set free from slavery. And then there were the slaves. And everything in this in this culture revolved around this caste system. And you could tell it by the way people dressed. You had to be at least a citizen to wear um, to wear the the toga thing. You couldn't wear that if you were a freeman or a slave. And some of some people had stripes. The equestrians had stripes on their clothes. So just by seeing what somebody was wearing, you could see what class of system they were in. So when you went to a party, the senators ate first and down the line. And if there was anything left for the slaves, then they got the crumbs. But then imagine with me what took place in this era when then there was this southern this this group of people and a slave is being welcomed into an equestrian's house And from the hands of the equestrian being handed broken bread and shared wine. That the equestrian begins serving the slave. Can you imagine the uproar that that would mean to a culture that was built in an upside down system to that? I can imagine the slave just being brought to tears that this is what this is about. It was not a good thing to be. To have uh, to be uh, to have your child be a girl. It was very socially acceptable to have girls um, left out on the side of the road to be done with. They were not necessarily welcomed, but boys were celebrated. But then there's his then there's this community that says there is neither slave nor Greek nor Jew nor Gentile nor man nor woman. They're all welcome into the kingdom. And so suddenly little girls were being celebrated and wives and moms were being welcomed to have an equal share at the table. There was evidently a couple great epidemics that took place in years 65 and 240. It's rumored to be smallpox that swept across the country and eliminated a quarter to a third of the people. It's written, Dionarius writes about the people that, he, that were just left on the side of the road as though they were dead, dying by whatever this disease was. And then there's this group of people that remember who Jesus was and what, how Jesus lived. And he went and he spent time with the lepers and he touched them and he prayed for their healing. And they began being this community to these hurt and broken and lost people. Can you imagine what this community must be like? To care for people that were broken and were ill and were left to die. And everyone else had forgotten them. Friends, that's the community of the kingdom of God. Where we're sharing potluck dinners and the weapons that we use are rakes and shovels and meals to people and letters and phone calls. That the kingdom of God is in the midst of stories just like this, just as you heard this morning. And whatever level you've been a part of being involved in Vintage 242, we're asking you to take the next step to help plug the areas where vision leaks and to continue to invest and be a people who are invested into and care for one another. So you have a number of different ways to be able to do that, a number of different opportunities to get involved. But if we're going to be a church that transforms the world we live in, 
then we have to keep this as one of the core things that God wants us to be about. We have to be able to see and recognize this opportunity and this love between Ruth and Naomi and invite the Holy Spirit to breathe that same type of compassion and same type of love within our hearts that leads us beyond surface-level relationships but into something so much more. So let's pray.